I just want to find some wonderful, progressive, open-minded person in a housing association that's willing to let us build two hempcrete houses in a social housing scheme. That's all I want. That's, that's my dream. If I can get that as my birthday present. Hello, everyone, and welcome to FutureX, a podcast by Martin Hearn, event director, FutureBuild, and co-host Dr. Oliver Jones, research director, Rider Architecture. FutureX will bring together some of the brightest minds and some of the most disruptive thinkers and innovators to transform the construction industry and build a FutureX community of like-minded people that can begin to make a real change. We really hope you enjoy the series. Hello and welcome to another edition of FutureX. I'm Martin Hearn, Event Director at FutureBuild and once again really honoured to be joined by Dr Oliver Jones of Rider Architecture. Oliver, this week we've got another one of those sustainable pioneers, one of those people that have been you know, doing it all the way through their career. And I know someone, you've read the books, and I know you've got a lot of them around the Rider offices as well. We have, we have. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of, of uh, Professor Tom Woolley and the work that he's been doing for well, decades, absolute decades, on healthy building materials. Uh, he's got an amazing book out on healthy building materials and, and we'll have another one following very shortly and on uh, natural building techniques. And this guy is a, a total pioneer with regards to sustainable building um, and specifically uh, hempcrete, you know, really, really knowledgeable about the application of hempcrete. Um, so we're, we're going to talk to him. We're going to hear about some of the challenges that they've had with bringing it to the market, some of the benefits of using the product and um and how we can maybe use it a bit more going forward yeah absolutely and you know just to pre pre-warn our um, our listeners this is a long one tom has a lot to say and quite rightly so so i think we delve straight in absolutely hi tom thanks for joining us today yes good morning oliver good to see you it's uh, it, it's absolutely fantastic to see you mate um martin and i've got an awful lot of things to uh to cover with you today and an awful lot of ground to cover and uh, probably comes from as i've told you before and i don't mean to embarrass you and put you on the spot but clearly a sustainability veteran tom you know let's uh, and and active still less of a veteran please (laughs) (laughs) um one of the things that we always kick off with i think it's even more important um when speaking to someone who's got such a such a lengthy experience as yourself is is just tell us a little bit about yourself tom tell us a bit about your journey where did you where did you go to university and how did you get to where you are currently yes okay well i went to study architecture at edinburgh university and that was during the 60s so it meant because the course at edinburgh was so bad it meant i didn't have to do very much work unlike the poor students these days uh, and uh, was able to run around doing all sorts of exciting things. Like I was student representative on the RIBA Council. We ran the British Architectural Students Association. We started doing what became known as community architecture. And by the time I got to final year, <clears throat> there were two two of us who were were kind of in a situation when nobody in the school would teach us. It was myself and Howard Little of, uh, <clears throat> who went on to found Gaia Architecture. Uh, and so we were lucky to find a wonderful man called Andrew Gilmore, 
who came in and went on to actually head of the architecture school in Edinburgh. <clears throat> and he saved uh, uh, Howard and I uh, from, from sort of probably never becoming architects. So I did my final year uh, was about the rehabilitation of tenement housing in uh, North Merkiston in Edinburgh. <clears throat> and that was really because I felt that uh, we needed to be focusing on on what you did with existing buildings, whereas all my classmates were designing opera houses and airports and things like that for the final thesis. <clears throat> so that was a bit of a risk, but I was very lucky that Duccio Turin was the external examiner and I ended up coming out with a first. It was either a first or a fail. So uh, from an early days, I, I took an alternative approach to architecture and I've spent much of my life uh, working on rehabilitation of buildings because for me that's the most sustainable thing to do uh, but within the architectural profession you're not really regarded as a proper architect if that if that's what you you do so uh, and then I was lucky enough in, in the uh, cutting a, a very long story short uh, we, we set up a community architecture practice in London when I was teaching at the AA um, that became part of the community technical aid movement. We then got funding to produce something called the Green Building Digest and uh, the uh, ACTAC, the organisation, got that funding, had no idea how to do it. <laughs> we didn't really know what, what we were doing, so we set out doing the Green Building Digest, which then became the Green Building Handbook. And I still meet people who say, oh, yes, we've got that on our shelves. You know, we still refer to it. So that was back in the 90s and um, was basically a critique of conventional building construction methods. Um, and I got to the point where I felt it was far too negative. You know, we have to produce alternatives. So uh, that led to me producing a book called Natural Building. And I went around the country finding people who were building buildings out of earth and straw bales and, and so on. And, and that was also at the time when we just started to learn about hemp lime construction as well. So uh, as kind of journey through working on renovation to trying to find green greener alternatives. And, and I, that's what I've been doing ever since really. Um, and I, I, I find it really disturbing in a way how poor the teaching and understanding of sustainability is within the architectural profession. I still run into situations in which architecture schools are not really teaching it um, because I now do a bit of teaching on the Centre for Alternative Technology Part 2 course. And so we get students coming from other schools of architecture and they're essentially refugees from the architectural education system because they come to us at, at CAT and say we did three years of architecture and nobody taught us anything about the environment at all. So that's why we've come to you because we're desperate to learn that. But I find that very worrying in this day and age. People pay lip service to you know, saving the planet, but they're not really doing much about it. So. Uh, that's why I probably should shut up at that point. <laughs> you can ask me some other questions. Tom, Tom I, I find it really interesting because, you know, we've had a lot of the 
you know, the style of this podcast, we had a lot of the sort of more activist groups on. We had ACAN and Net, and Net Zero and um, Zero Construct, and we've had Letty, you know, on as well. And, um, you know, a lot of what you're talking about, you know, and what you were doing in the early sort of 70s, 80s, 90s is sort of, you know, coming much more to the forefront now. Can you tell us about, you know, you, you're probably one of the original early activists. Sorry, I'll, I'll just turn that. That's Will Stanix phoning me from South Carolina. <laughs> you can get him on if you are. <laughs> yeah, you ought to do a podcast with him, really. But uh, <clears throat> he, he, he presumably has had to give up teaching people how to build with hempcrete um, in South Carolina because of the storm. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't know where he is at the moment. But uh, anyway, I'll, I'll ring him back. <laughs> behind it's behind. Um, no, so I was just saying, you know, there's there's a lot of positive activism going on in the in in the architecture uh, industry at the moment. But you know, you were on one of the forefront of that in the early seventies and eighties. Yeah, I mean, maybe we didn't do a good job. I'm not sure, um, but uh, I think that where people lost their way was there was far too much focus on energy efficiency. Uh, alone uh, and not a, a holistic approach uh, and clearly we, we perhaps didn't anticipate that fully and we should have addressed it better and, 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 and sorry about this um it's uh um the the issue really is that uh, if you focus purely on on energy efficiency then you uh you don't consider things like embodied energy. You don't consider where the sourcing of the materials. You don't consider uh, health issues and emissions from materials. You know those sorts of things are left to one side. And so I think the parting of the ways really was uh, when the BRE started producing the Green Guide to Specification. <clears throat> that that was entirely based on how good materials were claimed to be in, to create energy efficient buildings. And uh, whereas we tried to adopt a more uh, a holistic approach, which architects seem to find a good thing to do in, in the Green Building Handbook. And uh, it was really uh, the, the mainstream just went on to follow the BRE approach through BRIAM and so on, which focused narrowly on making buildings energy efficient uh, and not looking at the other issues. Now, over time, that slowly changed that people have recognized the importance of things like embodied energy. But, but I, I think we, we didn't do as good a, a job at tackling those issues that time. And, and that's left a sort of educational gap in a way which we're, we're now trying to, you know, do do better with uh, and, and I think people are starting to come around to understanding the need for a more holistic approach <clears throat> but where where things also went wrong was that that the green guide specification gave the top rating to petrochemical materials uh, like the materials that burned on Grenfell Tower they got very high ratings and uh, natural bio-based low embodied energy materials got very poorly rated uh, and so architects have tended to follow that and, and that's still the case and I'm coming across examples now where planning authorities are ask, are requiring uh, people putting in planning applications to 
comply with BRIAM or even to comply with the green guide to specification with having not the slightest idea of what that actually means and, and not really understanding what it's about. So, so there, there's, we're still fighting battle there against those, those sorts of problems. We had, we had Joe Giddens on recently, he's over at Built by Nature, and he was talking about, you know, their, their goal is the adoption of mass timber. And, you know, he's talking about the insurance issues, and you've mentioned there the planning issues as well. You know, do you find the same aspect in right across the base of natural building products? Yeah, well, I think um, mass timbers are a really key issue at the moment because they've really been hit badly by the, the uh, new regulations about fire safety and so on and um the 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 building safety act and uh, some of the new regulations that come in have actually been very damaging to uh, to uh, bio-based materials whether it's mass timber or other other kind of forms of construction uh, and uh, that's 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 again it's amazing how things come around in circles so there was the uh, it was the infamous World in Action program about timber frame construction many years ago, which kind of showed how badly built timber frame buildings were, were being built at the time. And that put everybody off timber frame. And then gradually the timber frame industry has, has kind of rebuilt since then and is, is better established now. But there is always this sort of ignorance. Uh, and the ignorance is, is promoted by people like the concrete industry who are always uh, our enemy in a sense because cement and concrete is responsible for you know some of the most significant carbon emissions on the planet but they still are promoting themselves as being so-called sustainable and, and low carbon and that that that's a worry uh, and I think that um, but as I say the the mass timber people in a sense because because they have been more commercial and, and doing bigger buildings, if you like, the, the fact that they're, they're struggling at the moment is, is, is a worry. The issues um, that you mentioned there, Tom, around, uh, there are a lot around public perception, aren't they, and regulation and standards in, in, in the space. Um, I, 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 there's a lot of similarities there for me in, the, in previous conversations that we've had around a lot of your work with hemp. Um, in terms of, uh, I mean, do you want to tell us a little bit more about that and, and how you got into that space? Yes, well, I think I think one of the things is that, for instance, we're still having to argue the case for, for hemp lime or, or hempcrete, um, uh, and people assume all sorts, have all sorts of fallacies about it, really. Uh, uh, one of which I've had to battle with recently is that it would be flammable, whereas in fact it's totally not flammable at all. It's it's almost impossible to to set fire to hempcrete, so it's incredibly fire safe material. Um, but um, I'm not quite sure. I think um, I got interested in hemp lime hempcrete um, at an AECB conference in London many years ago when Ralph Carpenter did a, a demonstration he'd been over to France and learned about hempcrete from the French and he did this wonderful talk and he demonstrated how you mix up hempcrete and um, at the end of the session everybody got out and, and walked out 
nobody asked him any questions and he was standing there looking completely baffled what what have i said wrong what, what's the what's the issue i was the only one who stayed on so i said no don't worry ralph i'm here i think this is wonderful i'm gonna go work with you on this we've got a this is we've got to take this to the masses you know it's a fantastic thing Ralph's a very, very good architect, very sweet guy. I mean, he's retired now, really, but um, he he was really interested in using Hempcrete with his local practice in Suffolk. He wasn't particularly wanting to run around and sell it to the world, but we 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 set about promoting Hempcrete. We produced a book which BRE Press published. Uh, uh, Ralph contributed to that along with some other early pioneers of hempcrete and that set a sort of standard for hemp lime construction which um, we thought would, would grow very rapidly, Lots, there would be a big uptake but it's still, it remains at what, what you could call a cottage industry level, it hasn't really taken off in the mainstream. So there are a few large buildings. I mean, I work with David Lee and Pat Bora on the Wise Building at Cat, which is probably the biggest hempcrete building. They, um, we did a big project in Dublin for the Rediscovery Centre, in which Dublin City Council approved the use of hempcrete without batting an eyelid. I mean, there wasn't a problem. And I, I'm still working with people around the country and, and travelling around to promote Hempcrete. I'm off to run a workshop in uh, Iceland in, in a few days time uh, where they're even growing hemp in, on the slopes of volcanoes in, in Iceland. So it, it's, it's there, it's established, but um, I, I have a constant battle with a lot of the, what do you say, greener architects who are completely wedded to using recycled cellulose uh, News, recycle newsprint insulation. They will not shift from that. They think it's wonderful, which it, which I don't think it is. Uh, and they, um, I cannot persuade them to try, just try hempcrete, just do it in one of your buildings. Why, why not just give it a little bit of a go? <gasps> no, 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 we, we, we do what we do and we do what we've been doing for 20 years and we're not going to change. And, uh, it, people are very, I don't know, they're very resistant within the construction industry to yeah. trying out new things. I agree, and, Tom. Yeah. What, what do you think is holding hemp back? Because, you know, you talk there about there's obviously still massive misperceptions around its performance. You know, you talked about the fire aspects of it, you know, as a, as a sort of a material that's been around for, for the, you know, centuries. What's holding it back in its mass adoption? Well, I, I think that there's still a lot of people campaigning for greener buildings and uh, more energy efficiency are still convinced that we should continue to use petrochemical based materials and the bulk of the literature and the standards and the practice of many many organizations uh, continues to uh, make excuses about why it's okay to use flammable toxic, nasty, horrible stuff, which is being, most of the base materials being made in China by slave labor, uh, and, uh, you know, is doing huge damage to the planet. They still are happy to continue to use that. And then, then they have lots of excuses. So they say, well, we can't use hemp because if you're growing enough hemp to 
build all the buildings then there wouldn't be any land left for food which is nonsense because hemp is actually a food crop and it is very good part of an agricultural system um, they say there's no supply chain uh, well there is a actually reasonably good supply chain i mean if we want to, if somebody comes to us to do a hempcrete building tomorrow we, we can get the materials without any difficulty then they say it's too expensive whereas it actually isn't too expensive it's potentially now cheaper than, than uh, mainstream materials so they, they have lots of excuses and, and and in a way i'm the wrong person to ask that question because i just simply i don't understand what what the problem is and uh, I'm probably, you know, they see me coming, oh my God, they're not Tom Woolley, he's going to shove hemp down our throat again. So, you know, it's, it's kind of, I'm not necessarily the right person. I mean, it's interesting that Will, Will Stanix from the Hemp Block Company's just trying to phone me at the moment, um, where, where he, he's got set up a commercial company, you know, trying to promote hemp construction and they, they're, they're great people, but they're not making huge progress i don't think in terms of getting it into the industry um the, the, there is the issue of certification as well i mean that that's you know you you so some of the organizations i talk to you feel as though they actually want to build the buildings out of certificates and you know ra rather than actual building materials they're completely obsessed with the idea but we we've we've gone through the certification process it's just that it's chicken and egg. If you can't get build the industry enough to be bigger, then it's uh, going to be difficult to fund all the expensive approvals processes. So, you know, you sort of go around in circles. But uh, also, though, it's clear that the mainstream is sniffing around hemp and hempcrete now. So we, we know that some of the, the, the bigger commercial companies i'm not going to mention specific names but but we know that they they're looking at it and for instance one of the the biggest builders merchants he has now taken over or has taken some commercial interest in one of the french hemp lime things so so that's starting to happen now um, but often their motives are all about just making money they're not really interested in the environmental benefits for um for for some of our listeners who who may not be familiar with some of the fantastic benefits of using hemp, Tom, do you think you could just summarise what an amazing building material it actually is? Yeah, that's that's a good point. Well, I suppose the great thing about hemp lime is it's incredibly flexible material, so you can use it in so many different ways. So we we've just finished a house in uh, Galloway in Scotland, which is built as timber frame house. It's partly post and beam, and then it has a, a, a timber subframe. Um, we then got a specialist contractor to come and spray hempcrete uh, into the walls of that building. Uh, so the hempcrete is about the walls are about three hundred and fifty mil thick. They consist entirely of of hemp lime nothing else apart from the timber frame. There's no plastic membranes, there's no sticky tape, there's no uh, sheathing boards. Um, it's all it's all done, the whole wall is done with hempcrete. The, on the, uh, the most exposed gable end of the building, we've got a timber rain screen to give a bit of added protection, but the rest of the 
making the there's a lime render on the outside of the, of the hemp lime and we know that that gives fantastic weather protection so we can achieve very high levels of uh, thermal performance using just 350 mil hempcrete the, the house will need very little heating um, it stores the heat it has thermal mass but it also has thermal capacity it's not just thermal mass like concrete but it has this ability to uh, to give the heat back into the into the building in a way which the concrete which has thermal mass doesn't do um, it's hygroscopic so it's able to and it's breathable and vapor permeable so it's able to deal with moisture and water so if it gets at all if there's high levels of moisture or or uh, humidity you do not get any problem with condensation um, and we've just had a study done by University of Ulster of one of our hemp creek buildings which shows that the relative humidity stays at 50% all year round without any change whatever's happening whether there's people in the building or not in the building whatever the humidity is outside which can be very high in Northern Ireland it, it, it stays the same so it's the most amazing material for regulating conditions and, and creating thermal comfort and and because I've been involved in buildings and for all my life <clears throat> I've never come across a material that works as effectively there's, there's nothing else that really compares even many of the other bio-based materials like wood fiber straw bale uh, and, and sheep's wool all of which have positive sides to them but they're just not as good as, as hempcrete um, and it it's the only way we can really get people to to convert in a sense convert to it is, is is they have to experience it they have to spend some time in a building that's built with it and then suddenly they realize how amazing it is i was going to say there you know you your experience with these kinds of materials um you know i've, I've an avid reader of your books and and you you've moved into a a space of sort of evidence base building an evidence base i suppose is the best way to put it for internal air quality and the internal environment quality um that these materials can offer which i think is a, is, a, is, a, is a lot more powerful in terms of its argument um than a lot of these green companies that are out there just saying that this is a bio-based material it's green it, get, let's get it in the building you know there's you got you seem to be really invested tom in building that evidence base um and particularly focusing on healthy buildings you want to tell us a bit about your work around healthy buildings yes well i i became aware of the issue of indoor air quality a few years ago and i think like most architects i hadn't really given it much thought Prior to that, it just seemed to me that um, there was a, 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 a an issue to do with healthy buildings. There was a lot of discussion a few years ago about sick building syndrome, uh, and people sort of picked up on that. That's even even ordinary people have heard of sick building syndrome without really knowing what it is, uh, and uh, then it sort of disappeared for a while. Uh, and in fact, I think a lot of big commercial like office buildings and things like that the m e engineers know how to ventilate and manage the, the buildings much better these days than they did in the past so it's less of a problem there but but it's much more of a problem 
in you know houses and smaller buildings um so re recently i've been in contact with some um, medical researchers in finland where they are doing work on uh, mold growth in buildings and they were telling us that they there are three recently built schools in finland that have actually been closed because of mold and damp issues so we're, here we are you know these days we're building building modern buildings that are highly energy efficient and uh we we still don't know how to prevent mold and condensation in, in the buildings i mean it's and i think if you look at the whole issue of building physics which is closely related to air quality and healthy buildings um, there isn't really a proper department of building physics in, in any university in the UK. It, it's a Cinderella subject. There are, there are some really good people out there who are doing research on this, but they, they, they're not, there isn't really a center of excellence looking at, at building physics. And, and so um, a lot of the, uh, the, and there's very little post-occupancy evaluation work being done so people don't really understand why problems have occurred so I'm, I'm working supporting various people there's a wonderful woman in Scotland who has got a, a set of a company called Beyond Healthy Homes and she's getting masses of work people contacting her because they've got health problems and ordinary members of the public have realized that there might be an explanation for their health problems that's due to the buildings that they're in so she's going around uh, and, and she recently went to look at a, a new development in, in Edinburgh where they, the buildings designed very, very high standards of energy efficiency. <clears throat> and um, they uh, have got severe mold growth uh, in, in the building on the underside of the insulation in the roof, uh, which is not a cold surface but they've got high levels of mold growth. That's before anybody's moved into the building. So their solution is to spray the building with fungicide to try and kill the mold growth. Um, because in fact, if they're going to really solve the problem, they'd have to rip out you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of, of, of materials. And they have a condensation risk analysis that tells them that there won't be a, a problem. Uh, and yet there is this massive amount of mold growth. So mold is one thing, but then you've got the emissions from the chemicals which are used in many modern building materials. So for instance, one of the things I'm doing research on at the moment is the widespread use of, uh, of so-called intelligent or breather membranes to create air tightness in buildings. And I've only recently been able to find data about the levels of flame retardants that are used in these um, uh, plastic uh, materials um, and architects specify the these membranes without thinking twice about it but actually the flame retardants are extremely dangerous they're carcinogenic they they, they can be absorbed by uh, uh, by the people particularly women pregnant women are particularly vulnerable um, and uh, we, we have now have a really good little research group of scientists and architects and other people around the country who are looking into the sort of risks risks and 
trying to build up the data and evidence about the, the health problems which, which come from modern materials. Um, so you, you've got higher levels of problem, you know, you've got higher levels of cancer, you've got higher levels of asthma, you've got uh, respiratory problems and so on. Many of those can be traced back to uh, the ways in which we build our buildings. I guess, and I guess you advocate what you're advocating here with hempcrete is if we go simpler, there's an awful lot more benefit in in employing that uh, technology um, because it's breathable, because it's it regulates that internal environment so well. Um, but just while you're talking there, Tom, around these challenges that you find, I, I find it fascinating that you see a problem like air quality and you say, right, I'm going to go and have a go at fixing this um i need to pull a pull a pull a group of people together how 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 do you do that what's the mechanism for you just saying do you know what this is an issue we're going to try and solve it you know what what does that actually look like logistically when you try and pull that people that group together yeah uh, well of course we, we've got the internet these days which is a huge you know if you can imagine when we were doing the research on the green building digest uh, I mean, we, we, one of the things we did when we did at the Green Building Digest on adhesives, we literally went round a, a, a big, um, I won't mention the name of the company, big uh, super, you know, you know, store selling building materials, taking the uh, cans of adhesive off the shelves and photographing what it said about the, the, the data on, on the back of the tin, much to the annoyance of the people in the shop, you know, because uh, and that was that was it was almost impossible in those days to, to track down. Now, now you can look up health and safety data sheets, but um, it, you, you have to be, I, I guess, I, there's something about me that's made, I, I've always maybe fancied being a bit of a detective, really, and I, I love pursuing things and trying to outwit the companies because for instance a lot of the health and safety the cosh sheets that you can get now on building materials the companies have been very clever at hiding information on them and then i discovered that in canada and australia they still have the old-fashioned health and safety data sheets but often it's for the same product so you can actually get much more detail about the chemicals in the product by looking up the Australian Canadian ones than, than you can if you look at the UK ones. But um, it, it, it's, it, it, it's partly because of the internet. But then I started to discover that there were people all over the world doing amazing research on this. And so you, 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 know, you, you can get in touch with people like that and you can chat with them on Zoom and you can find out what they've been doing. And I, I've just come back from Berlin where I went to the Nature Plus conference Nature Plus is a certification system for ecological materials, which is, is fantastic. It's sort of gold standard, really, for materials. But I also went to see two of the scientists at the Umweltbundesamt, which is the German Environment Agency, and they're experts on indoor air quality and pollution and so on. And, and so I just kind of just so lucky that they were willing to spend the morning talking to me and telling me about what was going on um, because they're struggling at the moment to get proper indoor air quality regulation into even European regulations like the construction product regulations and so on they're 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 on a bit of a losing battle at the moment uh, on that so but the the knowledge is out there 
but it's just you have to try you've got to search for it you know so so my my sort of uh, interest in being a detective has come come to the fore with that and i, I find it a real challenge uh, and i hope nobody from routledge is 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 going to listen to this because they are really cheesed off with me because i'm meant to be doing volume two of my building materials to help book and all i've done is accumulate vast amount of material in a completely hopeless way doing exactly what i tell my students not to do <laughs> and so somehow i've got to go and shut myself away from the world for six months and and sift through it really well I, i'm sure once you return from iceland there, there, there might be an opportunity over the dark and currently what appears like it's going to be a very cold winter um the you've just come back from margent farm as well haven't you Yes, they, there was a wonderful conference on Wednesday organised by a startup company called Hemspan. And Hemspan are producing a series of uh, hemp uh, insulation products, unfortunately, uh, currently manufactured uh, it, it, somewhere in Europe, not, not in the UK. <clears throat> but I was very pleased to hear that they've, they've uh, changed their pricing structure now. So they, they're now uh, going to be able to sell it's really lovely uh, hemp quilt insulation. Uh, so they 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 ran this conference. But interestingly, uh, while the, the CEO of Hemspan spoke at the conference, they also invited people to talk about other uses of hemp. So they got um, Graham Durant from Hemp Lime Spray speaking at it. <clears throat> and then they had Jeremy Blake, who's an architect, who's done a lot of hempcrete buildings. So they actually covered the whole span of <clears throat> different sort of hemp-based materials. But also it was great to actually be in a real natural, innovative building, which Margent Farm <clears throat> is. It's very, it's very well publicised, so people will be familiar with it, I think. But um, quite often I get invited to speak at conferences, even ones on indoor air quality, in which they hold them in the most unhealthy, unsustainable, horrible buildings you can possibly imagine. <clears throat> There's going to be a big one in Birmingham next next year, and uh, they've already decided to hold it in a horrible sort of uh, air-conditioned hotel. And I've been saying to them, you know, why don't you hold the, this event in in a healthy building? For goodness' sake, you know. Mm -hmm. So it was lovely, and it was in it was the sunshine as well. So it was solar gain, and it's just um, <clears throat> we we were able to go and walk into a field where there was still some hemp left that hadn't been harvested. <clears throat> so it was quite um, it was quite a boost actually. And there were they had to they're going to have to run the event again. Uh, because I think there were about 100 people there, but they had another 200 people wanted to come to it. So, uh, wow. <clears throat> excuse me, I'm losing my voice here. But um, So, t Tom, Martin and I were, were chatting the other day, particularly about um, the, the use of hemp, and, and you've touched on it a little bit here in terms of the scalability, and a lot of these projects tend to be smaller scale or the, the in terms of getting them off the ground. Are there scalability issues in terms of building size with hemp? No, is it no, literally... Not at all. <clears throat> so there's a 12-story a uh, hempcrete building being built in Cape Town at the moment. Amazing. Uh, so that they a company has been set up, Afrimat has set up to make hempcrete blocks. 
but you, you can spray hempcrete, you can cast it, you can use it in blocks, you can do prefabricated panels like they did at, at uh, Margent Farm. So you can use it in different ways. In this case, it's a, I think it's a renovation of an existing building which has been gutted, uh, but they've, they've been able to retain the existing main structural frame of the building, but then all the walls will be made out of hempcrete. And that, that's going up to 12 stories. And there are eight story uh, hempcrete buildings in Paris, for instance, um, you know, the, the, the building we did uh, at, in Dublin, the Rediscovery Centre, that's, that had about 100 cubic metres of hempcrete in it. So, you know, it, there actually isn't a problem with scaling it. Mm. So, both Martin and I don't ask you a follow-on question, but I just want to cheekily try and squeeze mine in there. When you talked earlier about the war build-up not needing all of the additional elements to it and the additional components surely there's a cost saving there um yes i mean i, I think old buildings are often far too complex now even simple timber frame construction <clears throat> can have up to sort of uh, 15 layers of materials all of which have to be put together and they have to be done really carefully which the building industry isn't always very good at uh, uh, and they also need fire stopping as well. So, you know, it's quite complex. And that's inevitably going to be more expensive than just casting a, a material that does the whole wall in one go. Um, people say, oh, well, hempcrete's very labor intensive, but actually, the, the, you know, it's not that labor intensive. And, and uh, it, it's, it, it is potentially affordable. I mean, it's, it, it is price competitive with, uh, with conventional construction now. There's no doubt about that. We might be at a real tipping point with it as well. With, with hemp oil in particular becoming extremely, you know, fashionable at the moment, you know, in the various CBD products, there must be production in the UK must be ramping up. So this, one of what goes into hempcrete being a byproduct of that. Correct. So the, the problem is, is that the farmers are still not allowed to harvest the leaves and the, uh, and the flowers. So they're, they're under constant scrutiny from the, uh, the, the, the government uh, and hemp crops are constantly being destroyed by the government because they claim that they, they, they haven't followed the regulations. So uh, if, if, if the regulations were changed so that farmers could get the full financial benefit from hemp, then it would go, the whole thing would go completely bonkers. People would be doing it everywhere. Uh, the farmers desperately want to do it. Most of the uh, CBD oils and things that you buy in shops now are, are manufactured overseas. Uh, a lot of them are quite dodgy products that when they're tested, they find that, that it's just fake. Uh, so uh, if, if we set up a proper industry in the UK and there are people campaigning and working very hard for this. And as you say, uh, if that takes off as an industry, then we'll have unlimited supplies of, of hemp shiv, which which we use for building. That that's um, and and there would be plenty of hemp fibre as well, which could go into insulation products. It, it it's a no brainer in a way, and it's really held back by some stupid politicians and officials who are still completely worried about marijuana and the idea that uh, it's going to be um, 
somehow everyone in the country is going to go out and start smoking spliffs, you know, if, if we grow more. It's just, it's just silly, really. Yeah. Tom, in, in your book, you've talked about that, you know, the natural building products, you know, it needs to go beyond just sort of the grand designs, the cabins in the countryside and actually be that main scale schools, hospitals, you know, even in the refurb market as well. Do we have the skills in the UK to be able to do that? We talk a lot about the skills gap in construction. Um, and there's a perception, I, I think probably wrongly, that you know this is a sort of a very much artisan cottage industry, the natural building products. But how can you see this scaling? Well, one of the great things about hempcrete is I say <clears throat> I can train any builder how to use it in, in the morning. Uh, it's really, it's so simple and easy to do. Um, there, there are a few colleges now starting to change the agenda slightly in terms of training, but uh, to, 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 to move towards net zero and, and zero carbon. But what they're actually doing is they're teaching the students how to do incredibly complicated wall buildups with uh, flammable insulation materials. And, and uh, uh, they're, they're not teaching them how to do, how to use natural materials. There, there are one or two exceptions, but but we, we still have quite a struggle on there to get uh, uh, the, the people being trained. But the, the wonderful thing about hempcrete is it's just so easy and simple. Uh, it's one of the reasons why I've not made a lot of money out of it over the years, because because we decided to make it open source. Uh, you know, the university was furious with me when we first started doing this for not taking out patents. But I said, no, no, it, it's just so simple. Anybody can do it. And the problem is, it, is getting people to use the right materials uh, and not uh, because and once they do that, really anybody, any, any self-builder can do it. You know, it, it's so easy to train people what's involved in hempcrete. And we are starting to see a number of companies developing so i mean I, i've been working with some people in south wales it's a company called wellspring homes and they they are going to be building eight hempcrete houses in Neath near swansea they they've, they've built a trial house in my state which has been sold now with a mortgage from nationwide building society they didn't bat an eyelid about it you know and um they but I mean, they, they've had the same problems I have. They've gone around all the housing associations, all the public sector bodies and said, look, we can build these wonderful houses. Come and have a look at the one we've done. Not interested, no, won't even consider it. There's a kind of stupidity there. Uh, I, I spent a lot of time recently at Margaret Farm with a, a guy who's trying to set up a development company in Cornwall uh, doing hempcrete houses and, uh, so on and he he has spent a lot of time talking to mainstream public sector bodies there he's confident that he he's going to convert them but <laughs> there's no solid evidence of it yet so we're still we're still you know and and we need we need to get more of this into the into uh you know mainstream construction exhibitions and shows and conferences you know there's still a lot of work to be done with that with you you know and you've talked a lot about education i suppose if you're an architect that's listening to this podcast at the moment and other than obviously reading reading your books where, where do you know what's the resources we should point them to where do they start in this journey 
Yes, I, I mean, one of the slight dangers of something like hemp lime is it's taking off internationally at a phenomenal rate. So the Americans are, are now doing, I've just been sent a book booklet about hemp construction in America. And I mean, it, you know, but there, there are great dangers on looking on the internet and being a Google builder. You know, there's a lot of misinformation out there. So, I mean, the main thing really is to go to someone uh, like myself. We, we've, I've got four training workshops coming up at the moment so we can train we're doing one in county mayo in ireland and one in dublin i'm doing this one in iceland which probably isn't very accessible to people in the uk and uh, I, I met someone at margent farm wants me to go and do one in the bristol area so um but other companies there's uh, the hemp block company there's um there's uh hemp creek cymru there's Wellspring Homes, there's a number of people now doing this around the country. And uh, uh, if anybody wants to find out about it, uh, you know, they, they, can, they can contact those people and they'll, they will show them how to do it. And as I say, because it's so easy, you know, it doesn't take a lot of time. You know, you can learn how to do hempcrete in, a, in, in less than a day. Uh, normally we run a, a, a workshop, we'd run, take a day, we'd do half a day would be presentations and then the other half would be hands-on using the materials tom i guess it's a good um it's a good point there to uh to to plug your latest tome mm -hmm. of uh, natural building techniques a guide to ecological methods and materials um I don't, is that through routledge should i have mentioned that <laughs> no no it's it's published by <laughs> it's published by a lovely little uh, publishing company in uh, in uh, wiltshire called crowwood press and they actually do lots of books on building they, they've done a whole lot of they've done phil jones's book recently on uh, energy issues in, in building and, and so on <clears throat> so they're, they're a nice little publishing company to go to lovely to work with um we deliberately set out to make the book as cheap as possible, which means yeah. that from an architect's point of view, there aren't huge, great pictures in it. Uh, most of the pictures are quite small, but uh, I've tried to make it as well referenced as possible. Um, and I've tried to include information, but it, it, it's at a fairly superficial level. So if somebody wants technical details about hempcrete or straw bale construction or earth building, you'll not get that in the book. The idea is to, is to introduce people <clears throat> to what the benefits are of these materials and to show examples of projects. It's absolutely excellent. I mean, I've, I've read it and we've got quite a few copies spread throughout the practice to introduce people to, to these natural building techniques and and indeed, we sort of will will await your your volume two of your natural building materials as well. Uh, healthy, yeah, healthy building materials. Yeah. Book, yeah. Well, they the actually the first one uh, of the building materials and health book uh, has actually sold a lot more copies than Routledge ever imagined it would. So it's it's done very well. And the natural building technique book is selling like hotcakes. I mean, I, I I'm having to order in another 10 or 15 copies every couple of weeks because I, as soon as I've got them, people, I mean, we, we didn't have enough at Margent Farm. Poor old Luli was organizing the conference, had bought, got 10 copies there and the 10 copies disappeared in about two minutes and people were, were really furious because there weren't any more there. So 
<clears throat> I think I think the appetite is there. I think people really are interested now. You know, we we've we've got the right moment, but we we we're still struggling with um, government and um, the you know the funding bodies, Innovate UK, all these sorts of organisations that I have contact with, but they're just not interested. They cannot see it. They don't understand it, and they're still promoting the use of petrochemical and plastic materials and and um you know some someday the penny's going to drop <laughs> they're going to get it but uh it's tough it's tough it fits with you know if it, from everything you said tom i mean you've, you've already converted me in the past but it's a it, it's such a compelling argument it's such a compelling evidence base and it fits in to- topically it's so timely with uh, a drive towards circular construction and reinforcing the circular economy all of the things that we've talked about around the the other elements of the industry as you say it's an absolute no-brainer so what do we need to see from what do you think we need to see from government and what do you think we need to see from the the research funding bodies who, who might not want to fund it because it's just because it is so simple i don't know yeah i mean uh, one of the things on my long list to do and i've got some offer of help is I, I'm chairman of the all-party parliamentary forum on carbon monoxide and the people who, who organise those meetings and support that have given me some advice about how we could set up an all-party parliamentary group on bio-based construction materials. So I, I, I'm hoping to do that. I, I, there are some MPs and, and members of the House of Lords uh, who, who are uh, who understand these issues and are interested and I've spoken to some of them. And so um, I think that might be a way forward because an all-party parliamentary group doesn't have any power with it within parliament, but it does have the ability to invite civil servants and people to come along and explain to them why they're not, you know, so we get people from Bayes and DEFRA and so on who could come along and say, well, uh, you know, we think, think this is a good idea. We're just not really doing anything about it at the moment. And that should move the agenda on uh, hopefully, I think we would. Uh, well, uh, super interested in that area, Tom. You know, we're we're compiling a uh, a bio based materials database at the moment with um, with some of our colleagues in in Sydney and uh, the Deep Green Biotech Hub over there. So I've been meaning to get back in touch with you about that and, and talk to you about that a bit more. So it, it, there's a huge groundswell and and, it, and it's a really really exciting area. I'm very aware that we're taking up even more of your time here, Tom. So. Yeah. I just I just want to throw throw one last question out to you. We ask all of our guests, um, what what is your absolute vision, your desire for the vision of the future to be? But you know, what do you want from the future? Well, I, I mean, I it, it's quite sort of modest, really. I just want to find some wonderful, progressive, open-minded person in a housing association that's willing to let us build two hempcrete houses in a social housing scheme that's all i want that's that's my dream if i can get that as my birthday present then that 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 that's just going to make life and 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 it's just uh, uh, and if we could do it we could even do it with a couple of houses built out of some horrible petrochemical materials and we can then demonstrate with post-occupancy evaluation how the hempcrete houses will be doing much much better 
so that that's that's all I want. You know, it's it's quite a modest, it's a modest dream, really. It shouldn't be that difficult to do. Good. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed. That's that's good. Okay. Well, Martin, plenty to think about from Tom there, and wow, did we cover a lot of ground? As you Absolutely. said, a bit of a long one, but wow, we're definitely well worth it. Uh, Tom's going to be at the show, isn't he? He is. We're really honoured actually to have Tom at Future Build in March. He's going to do two sessions for us. One is, and you've probably seen from today, he's got so much to talk about. So we're giving him his own entire masterclass session on our materials stage. So you'll have 45 minutes of, of Tom, all things hempcrete, I, I imagine, which is going to be phenomenal. And then when he's putting on his other hat, um, he's going to do a session on indoor air, air pollution in buildings and why it matters as well on our, on our interior stage. So he's bringing um, Professor Sir Stephen Holgate, who's the um, UK clean air champion and author of the Royal College of Paramedics and Child Health Report on the health effects of indoor air quality. Bit of a mouthful there. And also uh, Dr. Michelle Bennington at Glasgow University, who's author of the Royal College of Obstetricians Report on the chemical exposures during pregnancy. So a bit of a hard hitting um, session there, but some really good content. To totally worth it and and wow is it topical i mean out of indoor air quality we just need to get this sorted and, and tom is the international expert on this so let's uh let's get down to future build and make sure that we we check him out and he's a detective isn't he from our, from our last talk so he certainly is he certainly is all right guys well i love that lovely and once again if you've enjoyed today's podcast please like share and most importantly subscribe Join our community to stay up to date with all things FutureX. Visit futurebuild.co.uk to sign up. Please also like them and share them to help grow our community. You can subscribe to the podcasts within your favourite podcast platform. Thanks so much for listening and we hope you'll be back again soon.